What, like a nutcracker? We got a nutcracker one year. That was cool, and a ton of nuts. It was, it was Redskins themed. It was really cool. Anyways. Yeah, you can get cards, like really cool stuff, gift baskets sometimes. We did that for the Meads one year. Um, yeah, it's a really fun thing. You guys should think about signing up. Awesome. Thank you, son. Thank you. That's the final announcement I believe I have for today. So, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as we gather now together, we give thanks for the people of God and for the way in which they shape our lives. Thank you for the saints who have inspired us, and we remember them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Earlier today, in our Thanksgiving to the saints, we ended our little liturgy time with these words. We thank God for others who showed us the meaning of life in Christ. And that is what All Saints Day is indeed all about. Soren Kierkegaard, who some of you may know as the great Danish theologian, said this. He said, of all the things that came out of Luther's Reformation, the doctrinal changes, the theology conversations, anything and everything that came out of that, the central thing that he said was most important, the most valuable and vital experience of the Reformation was this. The understanding that we are both saint and sinner. That in the midst of our lives, we are both flawed and broken and unworthy, and at the same time, crowned with glory. Saint and sinner. The saints of our lives help us, I believe, to see both. In our gospel lesson today, we see Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Luke, Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, tells many of the same stories. He tells the Beatitudes. Yet Luke, in his Sermon on the Plain, adds a twist. With the, with, along with the blesseds, we also have the woes. Blessed are you. Who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. This both and, blessed and woes, plays the part in our lives often of the work of the saints. John Don Just was my chaplain in college. He was someone I got to know uh, intimately through those meaningful years at Lenore Rhine. He was the one who, after my freshman year, I, and I, where I had decided to forego playing sports anymore, where my identity for my entire life, it seemed, had been being one who played athletics to being someone who now did not, he was the one who sought me out and helped me deal with that new identity crisis that I had at the age of 20. He invited me to go to a spiritual weekend called Via de Cristo, which is not dissimilar to perhaps weekends that you're familiar with, Emmaus Walk, or Crucio, or Christ Renews His Parish, or Tres Dias. I went there and it was a seminal moment for me and my life of faith. 
But you see, my college years, were very, it was very evident to me that I was both saint and sinner. I lived in that dichotomy. For I was not only having a religious awakening, but I was also very involved as a class president and as a fraternity president and being involved as a presidential ambassador at Lenorine, which meant I got to go and represent the college at conferences and hang out with the big wigs and the big donors. And I spent a lot of time doing that in my life. And at one point, it got so overwhelming in my life that everything I was doing was around the college and the fraternity and all of these things that chaplain just called me into his office and he sat me down and he's looked at me and he said, David, who is your God? Our Lord Jesus Christ or those college and fraternity letters on your chest because where I'm standing, I can't tell. And I, like most 21-year-olds, looked at him and argued and left in a huff and didn't talk to him for weeks. But during those weeks, I kept having conversations in my mind, well, was he right? And after a number of sleepless nights, I eventually made my way back to the chaplain's office, and there... This saint of God met me and heard my confession and embraced me and then invited me. He said, David, this is exactly the kind of experience that we all go through in our life of faith. I love you so much I needed to say this to you. And he invited me then to be the keynote speaker at a a retreat that we had started at Lenore Ryan for college students all over the western North Carolina. It was called Pathway, and I was a part of the starting group that started that. And that was, it was modeled after Via de Cristo and Emmaus Walk and all of those things. And so we ended up being, I ended up being the keynote speaker. And it was at that moment after I did that sermon at this event that I ended up back in the little chapel, just me and Chaplain Just, and it was at that moment that I was overcome by the Holy Spirit. I was in full tears, and I said and offered myself to God saying, Lord, use me however you need to as an instrument of your work in this world. And as I did there, stood there, Chaplain Just prayed over me and gave me the support I needed, and that started my move towards seminary. Woe to you, David, who is not living out your life, but blessed are you as an instrument of God. Don Joss is a saint in my life, a living saint, because of how he helped me see the meaning of life in Christ. It is both and. I am both sinner yet I can dare to be saint. Likewise, Margaret Wise is a saint in my life, one who has passed on. During my second year of seminary, I got the wonderful privilege of serving at St. Andrew's Lutheran Church in Plains, Georgia, right across the street from the church where Jimmy Carter grew up. Right down the street from the church when he left that church and started his own. All the people in there knew Jimmy. 
and Margaret had grown up with her. Margaret was the matriarch of this small little church, and I would drive down three hours every Sunday morning to be at their 11 o'clock service from Atlanta so that I could then lead their service, and I did it all summer. Margaret's great-grandson had been born and was being baptized, and I had asked to see if I could go and do that baptism. I actually went to the Senate office and said, can I do the baptism? They said, no, you can't because you're not ordained. You don't have the magic power yet. So I said, okay. (laughs) But they said, you can be there. I was like, well, thank you. Um, And so I had to get another pastor to come and do that, which was great. I had a friend in a neighboring community, and I invited him to come in, and he did. Well, it just so happens my father's 50th birthday was the night before on that Saturday, a surprise party for him in South Carolina. And so I had uh, been there, and then I'd driven back late, got into Atlanta after midnight, set my alarm, I thought, and ended up oversleeping. Getting up, then the next morning, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to be there on time. I called down let them know. And then I proceeded to get in my car and fracture many speeding laws between Atlanta and Plains, Georgia. And I was 10 minutes outside of Plains. I was in Americus, you know, where they founded Habitat for Humanity. I was in Americus, Georgia. Woo, 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 woo. And I get pulled over. And I don't know if he was Baptist or not, but he didn't buy my story or my collar. He goes, what time is the service? I said, 11. He's like, it's 11.40. Anyway, I got the ticket. Um, Then I got to the church, and I walked in the church right as the baptism was happening. And do you know that feeling where you feel like an absolute failure? I was so excited. It was my first baptism. And I walk in to that church and I was standing at the back to see that I'd missed it, and I started to cry. Just full of guilt and shame, and my sinnerness was right there. Afterwards, I went up, and I was profusely apologetic to the family, and I, it was worse. I just felt so horrible. And Margaret came up to me, and she hugged me. She said, don't worry about it. Thank you for everything you've done for us this summer. You've preached for us. you set this whole thing up. We love you. We're so thankful. It's not a problem. Remember, us Lutherans, we're about grace. And then she proceeded to hand me the check that they gave me every week. And she said, here, here's your check. Oh, absolutely not. I cannot accept that. I haven't done anything. I screwed up. I messed up. I can't have it. She goes, David. She grabbed my hand as only an 80-some-year-old woman can, put it in you, look at you, and say, David, take the money. Remember, us Lutherans are about grace. And I looked at her, and then she said, because you're going to need it to pay that ticket. We're about grace and we're about practicality. Saint and sinner. In the midst of a sinner moment, a broken moment, grace allowed me to feel good yet again. A 
about who I am as a pastor. You know, the beauty of All Saints Day is we get to remember those people who help us to see the meaning of Christ in our lives. They are the ones that show us that we are a sinner, but also envelop us in grace. They are the ones who, when we feel like a sinner, will help us to see that there is hope there. But here's the kicker. And probably the most amazing thing about grace is that there are people out there who you don't even know who see you as a saint. There are people out there who see you and what you've done for them in their lives. They tell stories of you. That's the most amazing grace thing about all of this. Is that even though you and I are sinners together, God uses us to be saints for each other. And I don't know about you, but that's the most amazing grace thing that I can ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.